Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's Sermon Podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today as we continue to learn from God's Word in the first epistle of Paul to the church in Corinth. We pray that God's Word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians. We're back in there. We took a few weeks break from it. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up. The ushers will grab one for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 17 is where we are. Just a little reminder of where we were back at the beginning of chapter 3. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, led us through this idea of maturing. We are either living for the Lord and our natural self, or we are actually growing in God, and we are disciples, and we are living. And he kind of laid out three different groups from the person that never, ever really followed the Lord, the person that was professed to follow the Lord, but still was a baby, even though they were fully grown. And that's the conversation that he's having, having with the church in Corinth at this time. He's having this conversation specifically to remind them that ultimately the divisiveness that is happening, the factions that are in place in Corinthians, we're still well in this discussion This is not something that he moves out of actually until chapter 4, but he hits it from a number of different angles. And today's text is an interesting text because in a lot of ways, this text has been really misused by people in in my position over the the history of time. They've pulled out doctrine that isn't really meant to come out of this. Uh, Catholicism pulls one of the, the, the reasons why they bring purgatory is through this text. And we see a bunch of people taking individual piety, recognizing like, I'm supposed to build myself in this text. And and the Arminius and and Calvinists have used this text on once saved, always saves. And and kind of all these random theologies or doctrines or, or, or references that humans put into the scripture have come out of this text. And I don't think that's really where the Apostle Paul was going at all. In fact, we see it pretty clearly that there's really one agenda that the Apostle, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has for this text, and that's to remind them that they are one church, that they are one church together as, as one, and that there is, there is a specific way in which this one church is to operate. In fact, out of this text, we see a really clear indication of how valuable the church is to God and what he's doing in this place. And so let's, without any more of that, let's just dig in. Verse, one, uh, verse 10, chapter 3. It says, according to the grace of God given to me, and again, This is important for us to understand. The Apostle Paul begins every single one of his texts with saying, like, look, I have authority, but the authority was given to me. He he wants to make it really, really clear that everything that he does, what he's about to say, isn't in his own strength. It was given to him by God. He's establishing that again because if you remember, there's a big argument going on in Corinthians about who is the, the better leader, whether it's Apollos or Cephas or Paul. And there's these factions happening within the church in Corinth, and they're divided, and they're, they're really wrestling with disunity in that way. And so the Apostle Paul establishes his position and recognizing again that it was given to him by the grace of God. It is not his own doing. It is a work of God. He establishes that and he goes on. He says, he says, where is it? There it is. He goes, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Okay, now we have to define two of these words. Skilled, I think, is a, is a poor translation of this. This word is actually where we get the word wise. And if you think about it, within context to everything that's been happening up to this point and how he's actually going to turn back into wisdom again, the reason why the factions were happening was because there was this argument about who was wise and who wasn't. And their wisdom was based on the rhetoric and the way they communicated and how their stylistic approach was. And so he says, a wise master builder. This is where we get that word skilled. That's where we get the word wise. 
wisdom, like a wise master builder. Now, master builder is actually where we get our word architect. But architect is, is the way we see it is they, oh, they, they spend the time making the plans. The way that's used here is more like a general contractor, someone that follows the rules of the plan set before them. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, look, as a wise general contractor, as a wise submitted follower of God, I laid a foundation. I put a foundation, and most of us would understand what a foundation is, but just for the sake of, of, of making sure we're on the same page, the foundation is what anything sits on. Your house has a foundation, hopefully, right? If it doesn't, you're going to be in trouble. We are all sitting on a foundation right now. This is a foundation that's put in place, and everything gets built up and around and into that foundation. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, look, like a wise architect, like a wise submitted general contractor, I laid a foundation. This foundation has been laid through my conversations, through my teachings, and someone else is building upon it, meaning there are other people speaking, leading, teaching on this. And this foundation is in place, and they're, they're now coming in. There's someone else that's, that's speaking. And there's, we, we find out later in Corinthians that there's many voices, but he says there's only one father. There's many teachers. There's lots of people speaking and leading and, and sharing this. But he says they're all building upon the foundation that was laid. It doesn't make sense if you put a foundation over here and then start building over here. The, the building has to happen on the foundation. That's what he's saying. He's saying someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Again, he has reminded them, look, there is no other foundation that's worth standing on other than Jesus Christ. And to take it a little bit further to stay in the context where he is, Christ crucified. Recognizing that salvation is through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, nothing comes from, a, from, from joy or hope outside of Jesus Christ. He's saying, look, that's the foundation. That's all that's been laid. That's what was put in place. And, and when Apollos or Cephas or any other person came to teach, all they're doing is building on that foundation. But he's had a caution. There. He said, but be careful. Be careful to how you build on it. Be careful. And then he goes on. He says, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a ward. If the work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And so what he's saying here is, this is where we can get in trouble if we're trying to be really creative, is we can make a whole kind of word study on, on gold and silver and precious stone and wood, hay and straw and, and, and lay out this, this really profound big statement about each of these building materials, but that's not what the Apostle Paul's going for. He's just, he's just laying out, look, we understand today, when we look back at this text, that every single person in this text understood that when the temple was built, it was built with precious materials. When Solomon built the temple, he wasn't building it out of straw, Straw was very useful. They would use it for roofs in their houses. So it's not that it wasn't useful, but he's saying there's, there's something about these, these three, gold, silver, and precious stone, and these three, wood, straw, and hay, that are very different. One will, will, will stand through fire. The other will be burned up. And what he's establishing is he's saying, look, there's a way in which you can build on the foundation of Jesus Christ where it will stand the test. It will, it will stay true to who Jesus Christ is. It'll build upon what the, the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, and it'll build up strength. And that's gold, silver, and precious stone. And they're not really even in ascending order of value, because again, gold was seen very, very valuable in this day. But silver had more uses than gold. So there was times when you couldn't use gold because silver was better to use. And there were times when precious stones were more valuable than gold. 
So it's not just that this, these things are in place, but everyone understood wood, hay, and straw, they served a purpose, but it was just for that such time. It was just that place. It works for now, but it's not going to work after that. The idea behind precious stone, gold, and silver was that it would last forever. It would go beyond that. And so he's saying there's a way in which we, the church, can build upon Jesus Christ's foundation. And we can do so in such a way that on the day, the day is talking about the judgment day, the day we stand before the Lord, and he says, it's the finality, your end times, however you want to look at it, but basically where we stand before the Lord, and he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. That whole conversation happens around this idea that there is going to be rewards for those that have laid up on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stone. And those that laid up on the foundation, wood, hay, and straw, will be burned up. Those products will be burned up. So there's a purpose behind this text. And I think it's to help people understand and help us as a church understand realistically those that are teaching. Those that are teaching, whether you're teaching from the front like this or in a small group or at your, at your gospel community at home or as a parent to your kids, whatever, whatever you're saying to teach Christ, if you're in a discipleship relationship and you're discipling someone, what you're teaching them should be laying a foundation of gold, precious stone, and silver on Jesus Christ as the cornerstone. And that's what you're saying. This day depicts the end standing before the judge. Um, it says that the day will expose every person's workmanship, whether gospel or anything else, because that day when it comes manifests itself with fire, and fire will test the quality of each person's work. Fire not only reveals, but also tests. It, it shows. This is, a, this is a metaphor probably reflecting something like Amos's fam, firebrand plucked from the burning, chapter 4, verse 11. The implication is that anyone persisting in their present course of worldly wisdom is in grave danger and that they will be pulled out of their rubble heap just in the nick of time. That's what this is really saying. It's saying, look, you're going to escape by fire. It's, it's another way. It's kind, of, it's kind of like saying, by the skin of one's teeth, that statement. Like, you, you barely made it out. It, the way that this would make sense is that you, cut, you escape a burning house, but you smell of the burning house. That's what he's saying. So a person goes through maybe an agonizing trial in this way. And that's, I mean, that's not there, but that's a possibility. So he's talking about these, these two groups of people. These, they're both people, didn't hear this, they're both people in the church. They're both people indwelt with the Holy Spirit. They're both people that have, have been saved through the work of Jesus Christ alone. And yet one can build on a foundation in a beautiful way that will last and one will build where it will be burned and they'll escape the burning house in the nick of time. He says there's these two possibilities for us. There's the, there's the ability to live today for you and I where God is going to reward us for the way in which we build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And there's a way that we will, we will miss in those rewards. Those rewards will be absent in our life, but we will still be saved. In the end, we do. So it'd be really easy for us to come individual and say, okay, well, how am I building on this and what am I doing? But again, the, the whole overarching theme of Corinthians is, is that you're one church. That the gifts that the Spirit gives you is, is meant to build up the church. It's, it's, it's together. It's, it's a whole community, not just an individual here. Yes, individuals have a role, but it's a community. And I'll admit, as I, as I studied this text, I, I wrestled with this because there's a, there's a thing called the prosperity gospel. It says that if I just believe enough, everything good will happen to me, is what the premise of that is. And that's, that's fallacy. That's not true. But yet, we see in the scriptures, the scriptures are real. Even Jesus himself talks about this, this idea that we will be rewarded beyond just the, every spiritual blessing that we have in this current day that Ephesians tells us. That there is a way in which we can fast and will be rewarded. 
There's a way in which we can pray and we will be rewarded. There's a way in which we can live our life and build on the foundation and reward set in motion. And I'll, I'll admit, I'll admit, I'll, like I kind of shied away from that because I didn't want in any way to think like, well, if I do this, then God will do this. And if I do this, then God will do this. And like, I, like he owed me something. But we see in this text, just in verse 8, he said, look, a person is worthy of their labor. They'll be, they'll be rewarded. They'll be paid for their labor, not the results. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And so there's, there's this scripture that just kind of sits in here and talks about rewards. And for me, when, when I want to think about the gospel or think about what Jesus Christ did for me, I want to just land on the resurrection like we did last week. He did enough. He saved me. I'm, I'm saved. I'm standing righteous before God because of what he did. I don't need anything else from him. But yet, Jesus himself, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and, and God shows in his scripture that there are rewards in which we can expect from our Heavenly Father. And just in case you're wondering, when Jesus was comparing earthly fathers to heavenly fathers, he said, we are essentially swines and pigs and snakes. We don't, even though we know these things, we have no idea of how good God is and how great his rewards are for us. And so there seems to be a motivation in here. Even as we get a little bit further in Corinthians, the Apostle Paul talks about a race and running for the wreath. Look, you, you experience a, a perishable thing, but yet God is giving you something imperishable, something greater. And so as I went back and forth trying to figure out how to relate this while walking the line of recognizing that, that there are people in here that have experienced bad things while doing good things for God. You said, I've, I've been obedient to the Lord in this way in my marriage, and yet this isn't happening. We see this kind of, this idea that we have one for another, and we just kind of go back and forth and back and forth. And I, and I recognize that, look, the scriptures are clear. Like, we can see in the scriptures where you can do everything right, and the Lord will allow something bad to happen to you, and the enemy will come and do that. You know, when we, we always talk about this right before, for some reason, right before Resurrection Sunday as a staff, like, batteries break down, animals go to vets, kids get sick. It just kind of happens, right? And so often we want to be like, man, you know, my kids are sick because it's Resurrection Sunday and the enemy's allowing this and so these, or the, God's allowing this but the enemy's attacking. Or it could just be that my son licked the monkey bars. Okay? And that's what got him sick. <laughs> it could be either or. But both are true. So I, I started thinking about this as a father. So I have, my son is two, almost three, and he decided he wanted to potty train himself, which is awesome. It's sometimes, but not great. But he's been doing really great with keeping his pull-up tr- clean and dry. It's like, okay, Judah, if you can, if you can keep your pull-up tr- clean and dry for seven days, dad's going to take you out for ice cream and a date. We're going to go out together. It's going to be awesome. Now, I understand. A bunch of you in here are like, well, reward-based parenting. And I, like, I get it. Okay, let's just, let's just steer clear of that, okay? But at the end of the day, what I'm proposing for Judah isn't a bad thing for him. It's a good thing for him. And the benefit of him being clean and dry, like no one wants to be a 17-year-old boy walking around in a diaper that's full of a mess in themselves, right? Like this is a, everyone would, would, would agree with me that that's a good thing that he goes with a clean and dry diaper. And that in of itself is enough. The ice cream and the date is just on top of that. In a lot of ways, again, it doesn't completely cross over, but in a lot of ways, I think that's what the, the, the scripture is telling us here. Is that just to mature in God is enough. God is going to grow us. He says he's going to complete the work he began in us. So we're going to continue to mature. We see that when we don't mature, that God will discipline us. 
to bring about maturity because his goal is to grow us, to be, us, to be more like him. The scriptures are full of all the ways in which you and I are to live today on this earth, in this broken body, in this broken place, in light of the gospel. We are to, to let our light shine before men so that God may get the glory. It's over and over again. And God says, that's fantastic and that's good and I want you to do that and I'm going to do that in you to the spirit. But then he also adds in this other aspect of reward. And so similar to my situation with Judah, again, I'm not the perfect parent by any means, but Judah trusts that what I say will actually happen. That if he does what I ask of him, that I will do those things to him. Now, as a parent, we can really mess that up, right? And I could just not do it. But right now, he, he trusts that. He believes that. Similar to us, I believe that we should trust God when he says, look, there is a reward for you. That's the, that's the first hurdle we have to get to is that, that we have to trust that, that we have to believe that if it's here, it's within the scripture, then there's something there for it. There's something for us in this way to understand that something's gonna happen. The second part of this is recognizing that, that it would just be good for Judah to not have to pee and poop in a diaper. That would be great. That'd be good for him. But because I love him, I'm giving him more. And again, I'm an imperfect version of a father compared to our heavenly father. But... Can you imagine if me and my imperfection can understand that aspect of goodness for my son, how much greater it is for our Heavenly Father to do that with us? There are rewards. There's a building that happens here. There's a way in which we can teach, and Jesus Christ is the foundation. And let me just say it this way. In today, as, as, as difficult and as hard and as, as much as the church was under, under attack in Corinth, I would say that we are twice as bad today in the culture and the church as a whole. There's no value for the bride of Christ anymore. We view it as something that we, we can do with or do without. We can just jump from one to the next. We don't really need to play a part. And the Apostle Paul is saying, no, look, there's a way in which we can build. And it's not just in what we do. So this isn't a message, that, all right, everyone start serving your, your head off and just go nuts. It's, it's the motivations in how we do it as well. Judah's only doing the clean and dry diaper because he's expecting ice cream from me. That's not going to last. It's not going to last. We have to, we have to recognize it, that, that he is good, that God is good, that God is trustworthy, and that he's worthy of serving, and that the salvation that we have and the life that we have, the, the hope that has been breathed into us through the resurrection and submitting our lives to Jesus Christ, being able to live inside of that now, we can then work for him, not out of duty or because we owe him, but because we want nothing but to be more and more like him and to see more and more glory to Jesus Christ in our lives. Not as some payback, but as this is who we are. And this is where we're at. God does reward faithfulness. We even see in the Apostle Paul that he was motivated by this. We see in, in 2 Corinthians that, that there are basically around three motivations. One is that in 2 Corinthians 5.9, that he just wanted to please the Lord. We see the Apostle Paul say, I just, I just want to please the Lord. Like, I want, I want nothing else but, like, the Lord to be pleased by my life. And that is, that is true of Judah. I think that he wants to see it. He's, he's now learned this thing. He looks at me. He's like, are you mad, Dad? Because, like, you can see our faces, right? Are you mad? He's like, oh, no, I'm not mad, buddy. He wants to please us because he loves us. Second motivation in that same section is, is that Christ controlled everything he did. We saw that in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, that the Apostle Paul says, look, that, that I'm compelled. I'm controlled by Christ. My life is his. It's not my own anymore. And then we see the third one is that he knew that Christ's work was complete, that he died for all, verses five, or chapter 5, 15. 
Christ is, so, so we see these motivations that happen and that work for us. So it's not just enough for us to say, okay, I'm saved, thank you for the insurance policy, and it's not just enough to say, okay, I should, pro- I should probably serve, I should probably give these disciplines, I should maybe pray and fast, like these, these scriptures talk about them, but instead recognizing that there is a reward based on the end of it, and there's a way in which when we do it today, God will get the glory through our lives. He will get the glory through our lives. There's also a way in which we can do this where he doesn't get the glory, and that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. He's saying, look, you can. He gives us the motivation. There's a reward. But he's saying, there's actually a way that you who are his children, adopted and grafted into his kingdom, co-heirs with Christ, there's a way in which you can actually do things for God that aren't actually for him. You can have the best ministry in mind, and really it's, it's just going to burn up. There's work and motivations. That means you can serve all day long, but if your heart isn't it and you're grumbling the whole time, do you really think that's what the Lord wants? Like, oh, I hope you obey me with complete contention the whole time. No, he, he doesn't want that. No father wants that. No kid, like, I don't want my kids to obey me because like, yes, dad, I have to obey you or I'll be smited. Like, that's not what they want from me. That's not what I want from them. That's not what God wants from us either. Right? We, we, we have to have the right motivation. So when you are teaching, when you are sharing God's word and you are ex- you're expressing the goodness of God to anyone else, are you doing so in a way that it's of precious stone, gold, and silver? Well, how do we know? The ultimate answer to that is that it will remain when tested through fire. A little bit easier way to understand that today is that are you getting the glory? Is God getting the glory? From a, from a church standpoint, is, is Revolution 22's name held higher or Jesus Christ's name held higher? This is, this is how we know. He goes on and and says something very disheartening. Verse 16, he says, Do you not know that you are God's temple? Now we have to pause for a second because we go just down a little bit further in chapter 6 and he talks about us being the temple, meaning those who indwell the Holy Spirit are the temple of God. And he makes it a very personal. He says, you individually are the temple. But right here, this isn't a you individual. This is a you. Do you not know that all of you are the temple of God? Do, do, you not, do you not know that you all are the temple of God? Now, the word used for temple, there's a number of different words. This word right here is the innermost holy place where only the holy of holies only went into one time a year by the high priest, and that was it. He uses that word and says the church is that. You gathered community in Corinth. You gathered community here at Rev. Do you not know that you are God's temple, that this is holy and sacred and beautiful and profound, which is why factions and division would be such a ridiculous thing when you think about the holiness and the gathered of the temple. How in the world could the temple of God be divided? He says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you, dwells in all of you? Again, it's true. Chapter 6, we'll talk about it. The spirit dwells in us individually as well, but here he's talking about us collectively which is important for us to understand because then he goes on and says, if anyone destroys God's temple, if anyone destroys the church, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. This is one of the few texts in the New Testament both where we are exposed to an understanding of the nature of the local church, God's temple indwelt by the Spirit, and where the concluding warning makes it clear how important the local church is to one and only God. This is true of us. We see this right here in this text, that this is how valuable the church of God is, is that we are 
his temple. We are the holiest of holy places dwelling on this world. He is, he is indwelling us. The Spirit of God is, has brought this church together for a purpose of bringing glory to him, for a purpose of being light in this dark world, for a purpose of making disciples. Like he, is, he has given us a work to do, and he says, you are, you are it. And he says there's this, there's this way in which we can destroy it, which it's sometimes argued that destroys the wrong word because... The church, God's temple, can't be destroyed, right? In a sense, that's true. Even the gates of hell can't stop what Jesus is doing. Much less human legalism cannot prevail against it. But it must be remembered, however, that the text is speaking of a local manifestation of God's church. So this isn't just an individual church. This is saying a local manifestation of us together. That's why it's important that we see that the you is an individual. It's all of us. Because if you are in Christ, nothing can snatch you through. Nothing can destroy you in that way. But we do see in Scripture... Revelations 2, 5, and 3, 16, not to mention the historical fact of the disappearance of all seven churches in chapter 2 and 3, that there is a way in which we can build and destroy the extension, the, 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 the manifestation of God's church here on earth. And unfortunately, in a room this size, all of us have seen and or experienced that in churches in America. Our churches have seemed to be thriving and going well, and then something happens. And there's really only two ways that I could think of, of how to destroy the church. The first one is just to straight up attack Jesus Christ. It's just, just go at the foundation. It's not Jesus anymore, it's something else. We just, okay, it's no longer saved by, by faith, it's saved by works. It's no longer, it's no longer Jesus Christ isn't just, he's not, he's not, he's just a good person. Like to attack Jesus Christ is the one way to do it. And that's, that's the pretty obvious one. And we've seen churches definitely fall apart because of that. The less obvious and the more, more realistic and the more common one is to just slowly build slightly off his foundation. Hey, let's, 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 you know, I know that Jesus is good, but what about this really cool leadership principle? We start putting our, all of our effort into these leadership principles that are good, but they're just off the foundation a little bit. And what ends up happening is over time, a storm comes, the wind comes, or something beats against it, and the house does not stand because it's lost its footing. It's not on its foundation in Jesus Christ. That is both very possible collectively, but let me just, just because I feel like I have to as a pastor say that is very possible individually as well for many of us. Many of you are at risk of building your own life based on something other than Jesus Christ. That is, that is a very dangerous thing. Now, in Christ, you don't have to worry about being destroyed why it's dangerous to go to that level, but in context to the church, when you start attacking the church like this, I don't like that she does this, I don't like this way, I don't want this, I'm blah, 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 and you start attacking, 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 all you're doing is attacking the most holy of places indwelling on earth of God. And at some point, if you destroy the church, God says there will be no, this is not vindication. This isn't God saying, well, if you destroy, I'll destroy you. These are people that have already committed their life to not surrendering to the gospel. People that are willing to, to build on something other than the foundation of Jesus Christ have already prevailed, said, I, I have nothing to do with Jesus Christ. I want the church to be this way. It's more comfortable this way. I like it this way. The people that are destroyed are those that never really, truly were saved. I wrote it this way. An attempt to import legalism wholesale would be not an undesirable and unnecessary addition to Christian faith and practice, but a destruction of the whole sacred building, a complete transformation of it which would leave no church, no meeting point between God and man at all. This would be the destruction of the church and must lead to the destruction of the offender also, not as an act of vindictive retribution, but because he has already in his offense rejected the possibility of salvation. For the people that go that way, which I hope is, is no one in this room, you, you are founded on Jesus Christ, and you're living whole in that. 
But then there are some of us, and we have to say this, there are some of us today that are building out of wood and hay and straw. Your house is that way. At home, you realize that when you teach your kids, like, man, my, there is no, I mean, the foundation of Jesus Christ is there, but there is nothing being built on it that is valuable. Everything that I'm doing is just slightly off. It's just, it's just, it's just there, and, and maybe I'm keeping myself really busy, and I like the ideas of things. Like, I'm going through the motions. I'm going to church. I'm going to gospel community. I'm saying all these things, but, but there's really no, no motivation. There's no heart behind what's happening, and God's saying, look, you can do those things, but at the end of the day, before me, on the day, you will escape barely by the skin of your teeth. Or we can trust our Father, who is so good. We, we just sang how good he was over and over and over again. And you can recognize that there is a way in which we can live our lives today with the right motivations, the right hearts, where we can build on the foundation of Jesus Christ and stop giving ourselves to these other doctrines. Stop, stop running to, to understand these other doctrines apart from Jesus Christ and recognize that there is a way we can build that the Father of, of, of heaven, our Father, the good God, the God that created everything, that knows every single thing about you, knows exactly how you tick, knows how he created you beforehand for the good works that you're going to do, says, in those good works that I not only created you for, I will reward them. Because that should be Exciting. You should have seen Judah's face when I told him ice cream for a dry diaper. I mean, he lit up. And I can't help but think, again, definitely a not great comparison. I'm very far from God, and, and Judah's very far from me. But when I look at me and God, I can't help but think if, if, if he's a good father, how excited he would feel, how proud he would feel, how, how much joy would be there if he saw me light up with the thought of, God, when I do this, I'm getting rewarded. I was talking with uh, Danny Pellegrini last night actually about this. I said, you know, in my own life, I realize there's an issue. The only time that I actually think on the rewards that God's going to give me is when it's bad in my life. When I'm doing something, when I'm, when I'm being attacked in a way and I don't retribute it or when something difficult happened in my life and I'm like, oh, I just want to scream it from the rooftops. Oh, okay, it's hard life right now. All right, well, there's rewards waiting for me. And that's the only time I go to the rewards that God promises. That's, that's, that's terrible, guys. Don't do that. I should be motivated to go to the rewards, whether good or bad in my life. I should be motivated to do the things that God asks of me, to live, to pray the way he asked me to pray, to fast the way he asked me to fast, to do these things that he commands in me. Because what? Because he's making me more like Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to be. I want Bren to be a distant memory. I want Jesus Christ to be all that I am. So what's your motivation? What's your heart? The band's going to come up, and we're going to continue to worship him. And as we do, I guess I would just leave you with this. Again, this text predominantly speaks to the greater church as a whole, but the Apostle Paul will turn very individual as we go on. But let me just ask this question. If you were to say in a moment, like today, if you just stopped doing everything, I mean like just fully stopped doing everything that you were doing for this body, for Revolution 22, would there be an effect to that? If you were just like, man, if I just went away tomorrow, would, would, would something be missing? Would you realize that there was a way in which God was using you to build this church? Was, there, was, there, was he doing something to grow you? Would it just go away? And many of us will kind of go to the, don't go to the self-loathing, well, I'm just not worthy. Another thing. I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, if the work you're doing just goes away, would it be missed? And my, my, my assumption is, as a pastor of a church, for what it's worth, even if you're doing it with the wrong motivation, it's going to be missed. We always feel it. We always feel it. But... If what you're doing is of no value, stop doing it. And not meaning whether people are recognizing it, again, because you're not doing it for the recognition of man, you're doing it for the Lord. But if you realize that the motivation and why you're doing it is, is completely wrong, then stop doing it. But the other is true, is if you're just sitting here 
and you're not doing anything, essentially what God is saying, that the, the work that you're doing is, is worthless. Let your, let your life shine for men. Let, let men see your light and then give glory to God. Let them see the good works that are happening. That's what that scripture tells us. It means two things. One is that he, God expects us to be doing good works. I mean, he created us beforehand to do them. So I think that's ex- expectation. Secondly, that we can do it in a way that can bring light glory to ourselves or we can do it in a way that brings glory to God. If you're part of a body, you are the temple. If this is your home church, if this is where you decide to gather, then you are a working of this holy temple together. And God has you here not to just sit down and be like, sweet, this is a fun ride. Look at what everyone else is doing. But he has you here and he says, look, I created you beforehand to do things with gold and silver and precious stone and it will be so good because I am good and I will reward you far better than ice cream and a date. You can't even fathom the rewards I have for you, but, but just, just for a moment, envision this with me. He knows every single thing about you. Your mistakes, the things you did this last week that were definitely not building on his foundation, even the ways in which you're building on his foundation that are totally gonna burn up. Yet he still loves you and he still promises these rewards to you. And he knows all of that. Think about it. If he knows all of that and he knows everything there is to know about you, how good can his rewards be? Pray, Heavenly Father, we know ultimately that you are good in spite of rewards. I don't need a single reward. Just being able to stand in righteousness before you is plenty and then some. It's more than enough. But I I can't ignore the fact, God, that you do promise rewards to me. I pray that the way that I teach or speak in my home, in small groups, or even here in front of the church, God, would not be building on anything other than the foundation of Jesus Christ. Forgive me for the ways in which that I have I've missed that, God. And if I'm steered clear, if I'm, if I'm on the wrong trajectory, please, please, Lord, bring me back, even if it means to wreak havoc on my life. And Father, for the individuals that are in here, as we look at the greater church, forgive us for being too individual. Forgive us for being so selfish with the church, feeling like we have no role, not even making an effort, waiting for someone else to do it. God, forgive us for not stepping up and recognizing that we are to build your church today. God, for the people that continue to want to belong to your church but refuse to submit themselves to you, God, would you show them that there is no way to belong a part of this community without you being the Lord of their lives. And for the, for the houses where they're not being built on the foundation of Jesus, God, would you steer them correctly? God, for the individuals that are here or, or have been here or that in this valley that are trying to destroy the church, God, would, you, would your gospel saturate their hearts? Would they, would they submit their lives to you? And God, I, I know that there will be a day where we all stand before you and we give an account for everything that we've done. And I don't know what that looks like, but all I want to hear is well done, good and faithful servant. And I know that only comes from me being surrendered to you and your spirit doing it through me and not my own strength. And so God, I pray that all of us would get out of the way. I pray that we would all be um, master, wise master builders, Lord, recognizing that we um, don't need to lay a foundation. The foundation has been set. We joyfully get the, 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 the right, the honor to not, not only build on that, but to add to it and to grow it. And I pray that our additions never, ever, ever stray from the foundation of Jesus Christ. God, for the greater church, even in just in this valley, I pray that every single church would not stray from the foundation of Jesus Christ. Lord, should you destroy a church, should you allow a church to be destroyed, God, I pray that you would bring glory to your son through it. 
And I pray that you would allow us to continue to build your church on your foundation for your glory alone. And I pray that this church, Revolution 22, would never, ever stray from the foundation of Jesus Christ. I pray that if we even get close to it, that you would not only slap us on the wrist, that you would yank the chain, whatever you need to do to course correct us, God, and we would be submitted to that. I pray for the humility of every individual in here that has been teaching, whether it's in kids' classrooms or in gospel communities or, or facilitating conversations or at men's breakfast or women's ministries or in the single one-on-one discipleship. God, I pray that every single person builds confidently on the foundation of Jesus Christ with precious stone, gold, or silver. So at the end, when they stand before you, they can see what you did in and through them for your glory and their rewards. And Father, I admit that I don't really see your rewards as much value. And I'll admit that I, I miss out on that or think, think poorly of it because I don't want to stray from just recognizing that what I already have in you is enough. But God, I want to be more excited about what you're giving and who you are. May we not think about how you're rewarding us, but just think about how we are to live for you. And in that, enjoy the rewards that come because you are a good God. You keep your promises and what you say has always come true and will always come true. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.